Hello and welcome to another episode of Make History Dope Again. Today, the MHDA crew is back together for a spotlight on President Woodrow Wilson versus the press. As we've discussed throughout our President versus the Press series, the free press has been critical in not only shaping the first draft of American history, but in many cases, the legacies of those who lead the nation. Wilson, whose occupancy of the White House came during a critical time in American history with both the nation's involvement in World War I, as well as the domestic social issues, is a man who is currently experiencing a decline in legacy due to his personal and political stance on race and civil rights. Today, we discuss President Woodrow Wilson, his relationship with the black press, and his personal connection to white supremacy. Hey guys, how's it going? What's up? Long time, no recording. Yeah, the band is back together. I bet listeners are like, they, they heard the first voice and the second voice and like, is there a third? <laughs> <laughs> and we got him, ladies and gentlemen. The we trio. have Ethan back in the crib. I am back in the crib, man. I'm here. Yeah. It's great. It is. I'm excited to be back because it's been... The boys are back in town. It's man. been since the last spotlight that the three of us have been in the same room They're recording really together. Uh, yeah, yes. so I was thinking all of these... We, we've Man, we have been launching these quick takes, man, and they've been doing pretty well. A lot of people have been you know, uh, commenting how much they enjoy those. Uh, but those were all done with us just like dividing it up via yeah. like text message. And so... Uh, it's, it's literally we have not all been in the same room since our last spotlight, which was, mm. was that boarding schools. I think it was boarding wow. schools. Yeah. Yep. It's been it's, almost six uh, months. We're gonna yep. have to fix that, gentlemen. With yes. the, with summer coming up here. Summertime. It's gonna be amazing. The living easy. That's two songs we've referenced. That's, oh. That's okay. good. Yeah. We're uh, good. we're on a musical cloud nine or something. Yeah. We're. we're on, I need uh, a lawyer. Well, and then uh, Mission from God, of course, is a Blues Brothers reference. Yes. That's and a. So. Oh yeah. And that's a reference way back to the uh, to the vault of the early MHDA. I think you guys <laughs> you guys did mention that was from did, vault. there was a there was a Blues Brothers kind of uh, I think hiatus. The, the Blues Brothers reference was um, also inspired by the medication I was on during my <laughs> Your knee <laughs> my surgery? knee surgery recovery, which is of course where the podcast got. I don't know start. if the fans know this, but in the middle of recording we I think we stopped and like Andrew stopped to like show me this entire scene from the blues brothers it is su- i have no okay i have regrets about as my students about, would say it's a it's a bit cringe it's that scene <laughs> is iconic gentlemen. it is oh yeah it oh, is it's iconic a, it's and it's ethan you better watch yourself or i will explain it again <laughs> we will break so i can show you the scene again sean lee hooker oh none better none better it was good at that point i had actually never seen blues brothers yeah but since then i have wow yeah i'm proud of you i'm a new That's man good. Yeah, and so you guys watched Blues Brothers. Uh, neither of you have seen any of The Godfathers. I've watched most of the first. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been watching it for like two years. Okay. I'm just oh, <laughs> you've, been, you've been working on watching it for two years? I, I'm just way That's... behind. I know. Don't hold it against me. You're gonna have to, you guys are going to have to come over someday. Yes. We're going to have to watch this. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we are, as we're recording this, breaking that third wall, Right, we have we are in the teens of a uh, number of days left of uh, of school. Like kind of who's counting, right? Who's counting though? <laughs> who's, who's counting counting? those sixteen days we have left? <laughs> yeah, who's 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 doing that? Um, and uh, what's great about this time of the year, obviously, uh, the weather's beautiful. Summer's coming, so for us teachers, we're all super excited. Kind of giving our kids that last little come on, let's drag you across that finish line, right? Um, but also. Uh, just about a year ago is when we really got serious about this podcast and started, you know, releasing on a, a at first a somewhat regular and now a very regular basis. And uh, we brought Jonathan into the group. And, oh, yeah. Uh, really, I would say uh, really this past year is the first time I really would say we've had a podcast. Before that, it was just we had just recorded a couple conversations, you know. Um, so, I mean... Happy anniversary, guys! Happy anniversary! Yes. Yeah. Let's celebrate! Yeah, yeah, let's celebrate! Yeah, yeah. and always, I, I say this all the time, but thanks for thanks for including me. I know 
I know I was, uh, <laughs> you know, welcomed in the very, very beginning, but was kind of somewhat skeptical on like, eh, I don't know. Andrew and I were just kind of stumbling along, <laughs> making our way through. But and I then think we stumbled into something though. You know? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we it's, did. It's always fun to be able to sit down and with your with your best friends and talk about yeah things that you love. So. I agree. Uh, how should we uh, How should we celebrate with our viewers? Ooh, uh, how about a question. banger of, a, of an episode? A banger episode. And how about this? What about we work on a dad hat? A dad. Ooh, yes. Do dad you like hats. dad hats? Do you? Are you are you a father? <laughs> Is your head cold? <laughs> are you losing your hair? Right. <laughs> and need a cover up. <laughs> so I think uh, I think we should maybe work on a little dad hat, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Let's get it ready for summer. Sounds like it might be happening. Uh-huh. We're we're working with our friends at Bonfire, uh, who still need to email us back. But I think we have <laughs> <laughs> I think we do have a, a dad hat in the works and we'll of course be putting that on our social media uh, by the way if you're listening you don't follow us on social media whether that be twitter instagram yeah, give our twitter some love yeah our twitter, twitter needs some love <laughs> twitter uh, needs some instagram love. Or, or facebook uh please feel free to like us there you'll definitely kind of see kind of behind the scenes as we're recording episodes and some some extra factoids i know um uh after we released our fdr episode our last episode um we were i was doing kind of a promotional thing on on instagram uh, about Hoover and his, you know, the medicine ball mm-hmm. cabinet, and I actually had missed the detail that he had created his own volleyball-like game called Hoover Ball. Hoover wow. Ball. Yep. Talk so, about yeah. an innovator, man. So it's volleyball, but with a medicine ball. You know, I think I've I seen think Dwayne Johnson do that. It's like a, I mean? it's like a CrossFit. It's a huge thing in CrossFit. Like apparently, it's a great workout. I don't think they call um, it Hoover Ball though. They do. What? They do. Yeah, no, like... There it was, lives on? If you Google, like, Hoover Ball, like, a majority of the links are going to be to, like, here's five routines. Like... Wow. It's crazy. Um, they don't teach you that. They don't teach that in PE. Or, or history are, class. You're, yeah. you're correct. That's yeah. probably... That's got to be top five of his accomplishments. I was going to say, we're running out of... Uh, <laughs> What's funny is apparently he was so dedicated to playing Hoover Ball, like they played in in rain, in snow. Um, only one time did he ever call it off, and uh, when he called it off, they moved indoors and played indoors. If only he was as dedicated to the American people in <laughs> right. the country's economy, right? I, I do love the vision of like you know of of you know. Uh, employment uh, unemployment hitting 25 percent you know the stock market out of control and he's playing hoover ball and him like, just throwing for some hoover ball him just throwing a medicine ball and being like figure it out you know pull yourself up by your own bootstraps you wow. know uh, you can throw your own medicine ball <laughs> <laughs> well, i guess i guess on the topic of of <laughs> disapproving presidents mm. boy do i have one for you today really yeah today uh you know as you heard in the intro it's all about Thomas Woodrow Wilson. Wow. Yeah. See, in trouble, you just busted out like the first name. First name. Yeah. I don't know if I knew his. Yes. I didn't know Thomas was his. <laughs> Thomas <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. So he used his middle name. Yes. Yes. You know, so for I guess some individual individuality. Is I think a... his mother's maiden name was Woodrow. Oh, that makes. Okay. I'd have to look it up. That makes know. more sense though. But yeah, Thomas Woodrow Wilson, a man whose legacy is in decline. You know, Hoover's legacy was in decline like right away. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Wilson is one who, you know, the times have, have kind of caught up to him. So, mm. yeah. yeah, excited to uh, to dive into this. I'm, uh, while you're doing this, I'm checking uh, his, yes, so his mom's last name was Woodrow. So that's where, I was going to say Woodrow, like, there's no, like, I don't, can't think of, like, a nickname for Woodrow. Woody? Yeah, Woody, probably Woody. Yeah. I don't think he went by Woody. He doesn't look like a, a Woody or strike me as a Woody type. Yeah. No. I was trying to make a Toy Story joke, but I got nothing. Yeah, yeah. He does not have a friend in me. So. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. it is. There, there is. we go. There's the joke. That's, there it is. That's dad hat worthy. We can put that on the dad hat, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, let's talk about Woodrow Wilson. Because uh, I, I think of, uh, obviously, World War One, mm-hmm. Treaty of Versailles. Um, I think of a lot of those progressive uh, policies kind of mm-hmm. enacted. Um, I know Congress is pretty, is getting things done when he's president. Um, but I don't think of 
what you're about to talk about very much. I mean, it, it's kind of like farther down on the list, but based off of what just hearing you as you were developing this project, it sounds like maybe maybe this part of Wilson's life should be a little higher up on, on what we should remember him for. Mm. Yeah, and I do think from my research, I, I was seeing more and more headlines, uh, like for example, Princeton, where he was the university president. Um, you know, just in recent years, there's been the debates there of, of renaming buildings that are named after him because of his, his influence and his stance in the terms of race and civil rights. So well, it is, like I said, you know, his, his legacy is, is being reevaluated um, because, of, because of this. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Andrew. He is president during a very critical time in, in our nation's history. You know, you have World War I. You have those progressive era social reforms. You think temperance movement. You think women's yeah. suffrage. Um, I mean, but he's also president during a critical time where, where civil rights are starting to emerge. You know, a couple couple years before, you have the the development of the NAACP. Uh, you have these these big activists like Ida B. Wells, W. E. B. Du Bois, mm. uh, Booker T. Washington, William Monroe Trotter, who I'd never heard of that we're going to talk about a lot today these big figures that are going to usher in the civil rights movement in the 20th century and then move it towards you know the Harlem Renaissance the great migration and eventually you're going to get into you know the 30s 40s 50s hmm. with some of those larger than life icons we think of today Malcolm X Rosa Parks so you know he he's president at a very influential time where I know we don't like to get into that what if history, but we all love it so much. How could the early 20th century shaped out had he put his foot down and done some things? So wow. I'm excited to, to jump in. Um, so let's get into it. Right? Let's do it, yeah. man. I, I, uh, I almost yeah. didn't want to like <laughs> add anything because I'm like, I'm, I, I, maybe I'll take notes this time. I mean, this is... <laughs> Uh, so before we even talk about Woodrow Wilson, we got to talk about one of his predecessors, okay. Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, I mean, if you go back to our quick take T over TR, you understand how groundbreaking he was in terms of the presidency. You know, we, we mentioned he was the right man for the right time. Um, you know, you have the emergence of front page journalism and he was so eager to be the face of every newspaper, the, the name in every headline, that he's going to transform what the presidency is. Mm. Um, and that is a bully pulpit. You know, this idea that the presidency is a platform for me to utilize and push an agenda. And the thing that I, I want to touch on is... As you're going to see with Wilson, he too is going to have that bully pulpit via being president. But sometimes you don't even have to be intentional by it, right? Just being president is going to shape society in a way that hadn't been done before TR. So the celebrity of being the most exactly. powerful man in the, in the land. Yeah, okay. people are now tuned in to the presidency in a way that they hadn't been before TR. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where we need to start is this emergence of a bully pulpit from the presidency. Um, and the fact that when Woodrow Wilson defeats Roosevelt and Taft, so here you have kind of this, uh, you know, this, this guy coming out of left field to who defeats not one but two previous presidents um, and, and basically steals the presidency because of that Republican ticket divide. But here's a man who doesn't have the personality that TR had. Maybe not even the personality of William Howard Taft. This is a guy who, as the press said, gave off a vibe of, of being strict and crabby. Mm. You know, he, <laughs> well, he, he was, was an a academic. professor, right? Yeah. An academic. I, I remember from, uh, from the chapter we read on him for the class we're finishing up, Presence in the Press. Um, number one, he has to follow... Theodore Roosevelt, which is like nobody want. I mean, Taft couldn't follow. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody want. And then, like even even as like say Taft for example was president, like 
Theodore Roosevelt is on like his tour around the world, like after being president, and the press is covering his tour more than they all are Taft, you know? So it's like, it just, this impossibility of like filling those shoes. Yeah. But as you said, like he's, he's an academic. And so I know like in the same way that like uh, a crabby professor might treat like an, an undergrad, you know, uh, he kind of treats the press that way. And I know like sometimes they want him to have like a, um, a quick sensational answer and him being like very much like a, uh, uh, a man who thinks deeply he's kind of more like let me think on it which doesn't work with that headline style you yeah know? let me think on it or here's my already re- pre-written statement right yeah. right because he even forced the uh the you know white house correspondents to have all their questions written in advance you know he, he didn't like that very uh you know spontaneous type of relationship that that theodore roosevelt you know mm. thrived off of yes he it was d- a very he, controlled environment he does create the first what we'd call the formal press conference he does yeah and i think that's you know in a way trying to you know emulate this relationship that roosevelt had but the personality and the charisma is not there and and from a from the very beginning that's going to to hit hard uh, and kind of create this divide between the two it's not for you know he is trying um but it just it just doesn't work and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on on his overall uh, relationship with the press. But I do want to kind of point out that he has some history with the press. Uh, his grandfather, um, I believe, worked for the Aurora, which if you remember in, wow. in like episode one and two, quick takes uh, hmm. over the press. Uh, with Benjamin you know, Franklin Beish. Uh, Beish, yeah. I, I kept saying his name wrong all throughout yeah. the episode. It was great. So yeah. uh, <laughs> Wilson's grandfather is going to work for the editor who takes over when Bache dies and so there's a connection there and then it's i believe even his father worked in in you know in the in the press his brother's gonna work for a newspaper in the south so there's there's those familiar family connections there um but you know he he just doesn't have it in in terms of you know emulating what what uh what roosevelt had mm. but once again, being president of the United States kind of forces you into this press relationship. And then once again, he's president during a very crazy time where you've got like the Mexican Revolution, right. uh, World War One, and the aftermath of like the Paris uh, Paris Peace Conference. You got prohibition, women's mm-hmm. suffrage. So well, all those new immigrants and yeah. you're kind of seeing yeah. those those uh, retaliation policies, you know, uh, Immigration Act 1924, 28. I think 24, yeah. 24, I used to know that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's, he be, by by virtue of being president, is forced into this press relationship, no matter how cold, how, you know, how unfriendly that relationship is. Um, and once again, by being president, whether he intends to or not, he has a bully pulpit that either is, you know, that the public is viewing as a political agenda. Yeah. Whether or not he is making it his political agenda, um, people in the public are seeing his actions as a political agenda. Yeah, right. absolutely. So you guys want to hear my thesis? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, let's So hear it. my thesis is that President Woodrow Wilson's publicized conflict with the black press over Jim Crow and his connection to birth of a nation created a bully pulpit for white supremacy that led to the revival of the Ku Klux Klan. Holy cow. Wow. You're pulling it all together, man. You, uh connecting dots from like a uh, from like a professor reading that they're like now you got to prove it like and i think you are i think uh and i think i think i can um andrew like you were saying uh one of the only areas that i knew about woodrow wilson and kind of what people would say his his racism because a lot of people know that he would be considered a racist the one area i knew was that he had he had shown birth of a nation at the white house yeah and if you know anything about birth of a nation um you know that it is a very racist film Mm -hmm. that we will uh dissect later on today and so that was like the one footnote that i knew and so i started to peel peel off those layers and i want to know what are these deeper connections and boy are there connections really yeah so let's get into it um first and foremost okay woodrow wilson elected in 1912 he is the first Democrat since Grover Cleveland and the first Southern-born president since the Civil War. Wow. So it's not a small deal, right, that 
Yeah, because so that's kind of just because and he's and he's a Democrat, like just you said. Just in context, so, yeah, a Southern-born yeah. Democrat, first one, first Southern-born Democrat since the Civil War, first Democrat since Cleveland, um, and you have to remember, you know, post-Civil War Reconstruction era, you have the rise of Jim Crow, uh, which, as we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit, is you know the legal segregation implemented in the United States. Um, mm. And so Wilson, born in Virginia, 1856, to slave-owning parents. So wow. he's got that, that heritage of slavery, uh, that Confederate heritage. He's going to live in both Georgia and South Carolina, which are definitely going to shape uh, his attitudes on race. Yeah. Um, our, our lead scholar, uh, the historian Harold Holter, states in his book that uh, Wilson's long rem- Wilson long remembered overhearing the adults angrily greet the news of Lincoln's 1860 election with vows of secession, and that although Wilson accepted Union victory, he continued to maintain a belief in white supremacy. So he is going to grow up in kind of the ashes of uh, the antebellum South, right? This this wow. failed yeah. succession, right? This uh, failed, I guess what they would have seen as a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the North would would hold was a rebellion, right? Um, and so this is smelling a lot like lost cause to me. Absolutely lost cause. Well, it's and I mean he's. It sounds like he's definitely from what you said. He's definitely a child of the Civil War, right? Born in '56. A product of his environment. Yeah, and 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 also like definitely in his formative years is living through Reconstruction and Reconstruction failed. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so he was a supporter and a contributor to the Lost Cause narrative. Okay. Now, those of you who don't know about the Lost Cause narrative, uh, the term Lost Cause comes from the wartime editor, Edward A. Pollard, um, who wrote a book called The Lost Cause, A New Southern History of the War of Confederates. So uh, this was a Southern narrative that sought to justify the Confederate cause. Um, they claim things like uh, states' rights, the constitutionality of secession, and they they really promoted the heroism of Confederate soldiers. Yeah. Um, and this, I'm gonna call it alternative history of the lost cause, is gonna spread throughout the South. In particular, when you have groups like the Daughters of the Confederacy, mm. um, you know, this organization of of literal daughters of, of former Confederates who are going to gain influence in Southern towns, Southern cities, and Southern states and teach this lost cause narrative to future generations. I even know like the daughters of the Confederacy in a lot of southern states are going to be in charge of writing textbooks. Wow. Yeah, sure. I was so, thinking education is the first thing that popped in, yeah, to my so, mind. Yeah, they're going to flood those textbooks with this lost cause narrative and and that's going to educate young southern children on the Civil War from that southern perspective. I'm guessing I I know a lot of the when you think of like say the progressive movement um, which of course you're, you're seeing the roots and you're seeing that grow at this period too. Uh, a lot of that is ran by you know by by women, right? And that of course has a connection to you know to temperance and then later to suffrage, right? I, but I wonder if if the daughters of the what was with uh, daughters of the Confederacy is that was daughters called? of the Confederacy. Of the Confederacy. I wonder if uh, certainly like I bet they would have some of that progressive message as well right yeah it, it, that activism that desire to be involved is is definitely right. there they're, so, they're coming from it with the right. from the viewpoint of you know the the south and even uh they you know they're very responsible for the erecting of confederate monuments wow. all throughout the south you know they raise money they fund uh raise money to fund those uh statues and you know, they're going to be very, very prevalent uh, in the post-Reconstruction years, especially when those Confederate veterans start to die. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're like, oh, we don't want our fathers and our grandfathers to be forgotten. And so let's let's go very hard at trying to, quote unquote, not erase history by erecting these monuments that glorify the lost cause. So a lot of those monuments are like 1910s, 1920s. You have a right? lot in that 1910, 1920s. Right. So it's and not they, right after the Civil War. No. no. And then you have even more once you get to like the 50s, right pre-Civil Rights Movement. Um, but yeah, you're, you're 100% right. A lot of them are That's early crazy. 20th century. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah. so is this where like the terminology of like 
calling the Civil War like the War of Northern Aggression, stuff like yes. that. So this is this is where that you that terminology starts to appear. Mm-hmm. In, I guess education, right? I guess in education, right? And that yeah. whole idea that the yeah. Civil War is about states' rights and not so early nineteen hundreds and really as well, now is it is it Reconstruction? Okay, in some cases. So uh, the question I was going to ask and um, would be how much does Wilson's presidency uh, popularize the lost cause narrative? Is It's going to have a profound effect because he's a contributor of it before his presidency. Um, before, before, really? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember we talked about how he pursued a career in academia okay. and uh, yeah. he was a historian. And so in 1902, he published his own lost cause narrative, a five volume work called A History of the American People. And this history of the American people focused on colonialism all the way up to, you know, about the the 20th century. And so it is full of lost cause mythology. um, And it shows very favorable sentiments to the Confederate cause as well as the Ku Klux Klan. Um, Those of you who aren't familiar with the Ku Klux Klan, I'll give you a little bit of of context here. Um, The KKK, as they're often referred to, uh, were founded during the conclusion of the Civil War by Confederate veterans. And they basically were like a vigilante hate group that specifically targeted African-Americans and their supporters to combat all those freedoms that African-Americans were were being granted mm. post-Civil War. So wow. think about like the Reconstruction Amendments. Sure. So they are actively combating against that. Um, they're going to, you know, seek violence by, you know, lynching both whites and blacks. Uh, but eventually... They are going to be driven underground by President Ulysses S. Grant, um, you know, during the Reconstruction. Um, but you know, their violence did have an impact immediately um, because all the violence that they that they ensued and enacted did lead to voter intimidation and eventual voter suppression, mm-hmm. which therefore led to the return of those former Confederates back in control of their city, states, and federal government. Um, so when, when when Reconstruction fails, you really see that kind of surge back, and then I mean, if you, I guess if you think about like the Black Codes, and later mm-hmm. it becomes Jim Crow, right? Um, even if your your organization has been suppressed, a lot of the goals of your organization, which is you know denying African Americans economic, political, and social uh, equality, if, if if your mission is getting accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, why, why stick your head above ground? And right? that's exactly what happens. I mean, with those former Confederates and Confederate sympathizers back in control, you do see those black codes that then, you know, evolve into Jim Crow, hmm. which is, you know, legalized segregation. You know, that whole idea of separate but equal. Uh, that's official, but, you know, with Plessy v. Ferguson. So I mentioned that, uh, that Wilson contributed to this. So he wrote his book, A History of the American People. I've got a couple quotes that I want to share with you directly from this book. Um, so specifically I focused on his history of reconstruction. Okay. Yeah. And so this is a quote directly from Woodrow Wilson. He says, quote, it was plain to see that the trouble in the Southern States arose out of the exclusion of the better whites from the electoral suffrage, no less than from the admission of the most ignorant blacks End quote. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Yeah, I'm processing that. Okay. Yeah, so I can say uh, that again. Yeah, read it, it one more time. It was plain to see that the trouble in the southern states arose out of the exclusion of the better whites from the electoral suffrage, no less than from the admission of the most ignorant blacks. Hmm. And those better whites, you know, talk so about So the idea the that, quote-unquote, ignorant blacks were included in suffrage, and so therefore the better whites were excluded? Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I got another one for you. This one is is even more. Uh, that's a that's a, I'm just, is that's, even that's more a crazy shocking. quote, man. Wow, <laughs> like, so, that's so, written in a book. Yeah, yeah. So Wilson then goes on and he he justifies the actions of the Klan. He says, "quote Every countryside wished to have its own Ku Klux, founded in secrecy and mystery, like the Mother's Den at Pulaski, until at last there had sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, an invisible empire of the South." bound together in loose organization to protect the southern country from some of the ugliness hazards of a time of revolution. 
so he's justifying domestic terrorism yes right is is all that can be because because that's that's and and guardians or protectors of yeah guardians you know vigilantes Gods. and then you have right. that a time of revolution that you mentioned yeah. referring to the civil war as a revolution and not a you know rebellion against revolt a uh, revolt of right. a traitorous government right. yeah so wilson wrote those words in 1902 okay so a whole decade before he would be elected president um but those words live on for posterity right those that's that's his perspective of the reconstruction era and so in his career of academia um wilson is going to be known as a guy who has some racist tendency tendencies obviously um he's going to be president of princeton from 1902 to 1910 and during his time as president of princeton he did not admit a single black student into the school despite the integration that was occurring at other ivy league institutions Hmm. um so this movement of integration was starting to happen but but wilson put his foot down um in a letter 1904 letter to colleagues uh and wilson admitted that there was no law that forbade black students from entering but he says quote temper and tradition of the place are such that no negro has ever applied for admission and it seems extremely unlikely that the question will ever assume a practical form so they they wouldn't be able to uh, meet the standards required is what he's saying basically and it won't it's just not gonna happen it's not gonna happen so you know he's already he's already viewing the african-american race in a totally different light it's very fixed very Very fixed fixed perspective yeah. yeah Wow. Now, I'm still stuck on how he calls it a revolution because, like, they don't win. Like, yeah. they, it's, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's uh, shocking. Some serious rewriting is, is occurring, right? Mm-hmm. Is recurring there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. That, but that also means he felt as though he could write that in a social climate that would at least be partially accepting of that. Yeah, because right? you have to think yeah. about that's not that shocking of a statement to make in the environment that he grew up in yeah you know it is that lost cause narrative you know being trickled down to him as a young man learning about the civil war living through the reconstruction era and by the time he's writing that he said 1902 1902 so he's about it's after plessy versus ferguson so all of late those, 30s early 40s yeah so he's he's set at this point and mm-hmm. how he feels about things and and uh, with that with that supreme court case right all those things they've been doing in that reconstruction period black code jim crow have now just been justified and and legalized by the highest court in the land so mm-hmm. um uh, must be feeling pretty comfortable yeah he's on par with what right. with what the trajectory of right. of things are at least right. the political climate in the south hmm. um i do want to point out uh, princeton will admit and graduate will graduate its first black student in 1948 so he was wrong uh, <laughs> in the I'm glad you point that out. Absolutely. Uh, and so, despite the publicity of his views on race, uh, Wilson does receive surprising allies in the 1912 election. Um, so, after being president of Princeton, he goes on to be governor of New Jersey. And from there, he then kind of catapults himself to the 1912 uh, Democratic ticket. But that surprising ally, anyone, anyone have any guesses? Ooh, no. I, I don't know. The black press. The black press allies themselves with Woodrow Wilson. Um, this is an, an era where newspaper um, newspapers endorsements are super critical yeah. to a presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, and so the black press, they, they throw their hat in with Wilson. They had historically been loyal to the Republicans, but yes. by this time, Party of Lincoln, they're Ryan. frustrated. You know, they're frustrated by the lack of civil rights protections under oh, yeah. uh, William Howard Taft and TR. You right. know, yeah. think about the whole debacle with uh, with Booker T. Washington sure. and yes. uh, the Brownsville incident. Yeah. You know, they're upset with that. And so, you know, they're, they're going to so try like, something different. Let's try it here. Let's try it. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I guess a, a way to remember, because like for, uh, for, for 2021 years, that's shocking. But I guess maybe that just puts in context the just the the desperate state of being black in america at that time where it's you're just like uh, he has a history of racism but let's give it a shot yeah and there's Mm, actually so here's some justification from some of the leaders 
Um, so W.E.B. Dubois or Dubois, uh, he's going to give Wilson his support because he believes that, quote, Wilson was a cultivated scholar who would not seek further means of Jim Crow. So Du Bois, yeah, that backfires real, real bad. <laughs> my, at him. My, I just got really big yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Du Bois believes that hey, he's a smart man, he's an academic. Sure, he might personally be racist, but let's—he's he, not going to further this, right? Mm. Um, so he's—he's he's one person. Uh, another advocate, and this is a guy like I mentioned earlier, never knew existed. Mm. Can't believe I didn't know this. He's kind of become one of my favorite uh, civil rights leaders. A man named uh, William Monroe Trotter. Trotter was the the publisher of a newspaper called the Boston Guardian. Um, And he's going to back Wilson uh, as governor of New Jersey and also as as, uh, the Democratic candidate uh, because Wilson promised to, quote, be president of the whole nation to know no black or white. So he's going to hold wilson to this promise to be right. president yeah. for all the people they're putting stock yes. on his in, in his, his yeah. campaign promises then yeah okay. so i think it goes right back to you know what you mentioned earlier andrew if you're talking 1912 that's you know 50 years after the civil war right 50 years of of african-americans seeking progress maybe taking you know three steps forward two steps back kind of kind of thing so this is a desperate attempt to to, to seek change. And so they're willing to give Wilson a chance. Hmm. So um, Wilson becomes president in, in 1912. He defeats both Theodore Roosevelt and uh, William Howard Taft. TR has the best third party run of anybody before yeah. since. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Taft <laughs> right. terrible. Beats right. Taft. Yeah. Yeah. Beats the um, Republican. Now, it's not going to take long for, for Trotter and Du Bois. Uh, wishful thinking to be shot down um, because shortly after assuming office uh, Wilson's administration is going to start to segregate the federal civil service now mm. I bet I bet uh, originally it was segregated right but then it was desegregated really yeah uh, prior to the Wilson administration the federal civil service had not been segregated if you so think he, back to the wow. uh, reconstruction era you do have African-Americans serving in the federal civil service. So he resegregates. He he segregates it, yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's going to get the criticism from liberal journalists and the black press. Um, Yeah, because 50 years prior, the the people of color in in Washington, D.C. had increased opportunities within the civil service. Um, Now, let's let's point some things out. Uh, A lot of members of Wilson's cabinet are going to be white, southern-born segregationists okay you know so there's 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 that history there you know they are his peers right um and so what you're going to see is black civil service employees are going to begin to experience systematic demotions Mm. pay cuts and segregated facilities such as dining halls locker rooms and toilets um and the reason for this uh some historians they they blame the first lady uh ellen wilson Apparently, she had concerns for the white women who were working alongside black men. Oh. You know, kind of that typical, we've, we've yeah. seen it all throughout history. Yeah. Uh, she, she has those concerns there. And so she raises those concerns to her husband. And he institutes his plan that he called Plan of Concentration, uh, which segregated the two races in federal bureaus. Wow. So that is bringing that. So, so that's interesting because that antebellum southern culture yes of protecting the sexual purity of white women yes right mm-hmm. uh, right right and then villainizing black men right right um it all hinges on the in that their, what they see but that's is, been carried into washington exactly on a presidential scale it's been brought so it's in. not just the narrative that he's writing in books but right. it's the culture that then they are now bringing and enacting mm-hmm. wow yeah their 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 firm belief in like the invalidity of uh, interracial interaction, you know, relationships, anything like that, right? Yeah, and eventually you're gonna hear this word friction, this idea that there's friction between the two races. Okay. That that I'll get into in a moment. That's interesting. Um, another thing that the Wilson administration does that is just blatant uh, is that they start to require photographs on all civil service applications. 
Wow. So they are literally screening applicants. It's not just based Wilson, off race because there there have been presidents who have certainly had discriminatory viewpoints, but he's he's brought that southern apparatus with him, mm-hmm. and so because you know the president can't be everywhere. He's not making the day to day who are you hiring in the State Department decisions, but when you bring people with that same mindset in, right, that's going to have a so this probably is going to have obviously huge impacts on the nation. But just if we look at just the microcosm of Washington, D.C., I have to imagine um, people of color in Washington are going to feel this for a very long time. Mm. Those those jobs are not easy to come by, right? Good benefits, stuff like that. And now you're being demoted. Maybe you're losing your job. You're being discouraged. You apply and you're qualified, but you can't get in. I mean, this is going to have some major impacts on just dc itself and i I didn't look this up so i encourage either of you if 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 you want to do a do a quick search i don't know when this was uh um when any of these segregation policies were were taken away in dc for the federal for the federal uh civil service civil service yeah uh so while you guys are looking that up because that's a great that's a great thing is you know they they had these freedoms and now they're getting the restriction so i'm curious to see when 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 they're uh, you know integrated again um but while you're looking that up another person in the inner circle harry truman 48 okay so there you wow. go so so 40 years almost 30 years that's a big timeline yeah it's a huge timeline um franklin d roosevelt was in the wilson administration um as the assistant secretary of the navy yeah and he's going to take this call, you know, the quote-unquote plan of concentration, and, and Roosevelt's going to institute segregated toilets in the state, war, and Navy departments. So that's just an example of a future president, right? you know. Right. Who, who, who is going to carry the black vote for the most part, yes. right? Um, instituting that, yeah. So, so Wilson, what I, he, he does what I call, is he brings Jim Crow to D.C., right? Right. And so wow. by doing this... He's going to receive a lot of criticism. Uh, one of the critics is a man named Oswald Garrison Villard, who is the grandson of William, uh, is it William Henry Garrison? Uh, I'm getting that middle name. William, William Lloyd. Lloyd Garrison. William from Lloyd the, Garrison. From the Liberator. Yeah, the Liberator. The, the, the abolitionist. So this, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is his grandson, yeah. continued in the, in the field of, right. of, of journalism. Okay. Um, so Oswald Garrison Villard is going to be the editor of the New York Evening Post. He's also going to be an NAACP founder and board chairman. Uh, he's going to challenge Wilson's segregation policy, uh, and they're going to argue back and forth. And Wilson's going to justify the segregation uh, to Villard by stating that the Jim Crow policy was, quote, as much in the interest of the Negroes and in the idea that the friction, or rather the discontent and, un- and uneasiness, which had prevailed in many of the departments would thereby be removed. Hmm. So there's that idea of, that there's friction hmm. between these groups. And so he's claiming that by segregating, you are removing that friction. Hmm. But think about this. These two groups have worked side by side for 50 years. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's it, easy to say that it really that is. It really is. Villard's Jim, not going to believe him. It really is Jim Crow to DC. It's exactly right. It, it it's is. a perfect way to view it. Yeah. Um, and so Wilson, after going back and forth with with Villard, is going to say, "Quote: I see no way out of it. It's going to take a very big man to solve it." Hmm. Obviously, Wilson did not want to be the big man. Sure. Okay. He he's going to wash his hands of it. Um, now Wilson's going to wish that this is the end, but it's actually hasn't even hit its climax yet uh the climax is going to occur with our friend william monroe trotter okay the man who backed wilson in the new jersey governor and in the presidency and so in november of 1914 trotter um he is now the spokesperson for the national independent political league um him and a group of african americans are going to meet with wilson at the white house and they're actually going to meet multiple times. The first meeting doesn't go over very well. Uh, there's arguing back and forth. Um, that happened uh, before November of 1914. So 19, November 1914 is the second meeting, which is honestly surprising that he even invited him back because yeah. things were so tense the first time. Um, but the second meeting is literally going to be a 45-minute argument 
um, between the two. Uh, Wilson's going to say, quote, if black people object to administration policy, they have the right to vote for another candidate the next election. Mm. Uh, He's going to continue to justify his policy, claiming the friction between the two races. And he's even going to go a step further and say, quote, it's going to take generations to solve and solution would come quickest if these questions aren't raised. Mm. So he's really he's not he doesn't feel like his um, own political fortunes hinge on uh, support from the black press or or black people, just black people in general. I mean, really, is that frank? And so basically just saying, like, I don't need you. Yeah. I don't need you, and, and I'm not willing to deal with this. Yeah. Like, even though he's the one who's causing it, he's trying to pass the buck off to someone in a future generation, mm-hmm. you know, to, to deal with what he's created. Mm. Was there much coverage of this by, like, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Trotter would write about this, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm curious what, like, you know, New York Times, Boston Globe, you know, like, yeah. how are they handling that? Um, I didn't find those big papers. I got, I got a couple papers... Uh, newspaper responses um but there's one more there's one more layer to this trotter wilson debate uh or debacle however you want to call it um so (laughs) trotter is trying to be level-headed with wilson um trotter keeps trying to showcase his own personal experience in the matter okay what is it like to be an african-american man in america Wilson's just not having it. Okay, he he's not willing to empathize with Trotter, mm-hmm. and finally, Wilson says, and this is probably his most famous quote from the entire uh, conversation, is Wilson says, "Quote your tone, sir, offends me," and then he follows up by saying, "You have quote spoiled the cause for which you came," and forced Trotter and his delegation to leave the White House. Shoots him away. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, Andrew, you're, you're right on the money. The news of this meeting is going to be publicized. In fact, it is put into print the very same day. Hmm. Um, as Trotter is on the White House lawn, he approaches newspaper reporters. He gives them the story. Um, and so I went through looking. I, w- I looked through some newspapers, and I found the front page of the Washington Times. Okay. Um, you know, I chose it because, obviously, it was the local newspaper. And the headline reads, Wilson gives reprimand to delegates of colored body. President rebukes William Monroe Trotter for statements made and questions asked at the White House. So, so hmm. kind of simmer on that headline for just a yeah, moment, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you during this next part to kind of read, read in between the lines and, and analyze, you know, what these newspapers are saying. You know, just the idea that Wilson gives reprimand to delegates of right. colored body. Like, as as if it's like a a, a child or, or a student, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're and you're putting them in their in in their place, quite literally, I guess, right? Yeah. President rebukes William Monroe Trotter. What are these? Uh, what what newspapers are saying? Are those headlines? Yeah. This 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 is all one big headline for the oh Washington gosh. Times. The the, the Washington very day, Times. so later okay. in the evening of this event, um, that's the headline. And so um, I'll give you a a, wow. a couple or one, one quote from, from the article itself. The, the article does kind of shed light on, on the frustrations of both groups, but the focus in the language does favor Wilson. Um, so, for example, the article states, quote, members of the delegation, after delivering their set speeches and hearing the president's reply, attempted to cross-examine him. He answered several of the questions put to him, but as these grew more objectionable in character, the president showed his ig- his indignation. So to me, that the the, the use of cross examine kind of gave me the idea of like, how dare you even try to question the president, right? right. You know, right. like you're in court examining mm. each other, trying to see who's guilty, as if this this whole uh, basis for this meeting is improper or or, exactly. or invalid, maybe. Um. Which is, I mean, just bringing the concerns <laughs> to the president, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who who is using his bully pulpit the wrong way, right? And his policies, you know, to to take back, you know, what the amendments should have fixed, right? And, and yeah, yeah. So just imagine uh, being a reader, you know, you're reading this newspaper, you know, who are you going to come to bat for? It really, the yeah, it's, right? it's it's obviously leaning on the president, right? Yeah. We also feel like the other side of it, and maybe um, there's, I mean. The thing that pops into my head is also that when they turn the heat up on Wilson, like he's just like, get out. Like, I'm done. 
Like that just kind of shows your that sort of response. Me, your tone offends yeah. me, sir. <laughs> Get Leave. out of my face. Like he can't respond. He uh, again, or just the idea doesn't of want the, to that fixed idea. Like I'm not willing to change my position. I'm not willing to reconsider right. to advocate whatever. Yeah, just how stuck. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know if he. I don't know if he felt like he had to meet with them, but then that nothing else was required of him once he had checked that box of you have your meeting. Or I'd be curious. He clearly didn't go into that meeting of let me understand your position. Let me yeah. understand your experience. And remember, that's the second meeting. Like him and Trotter did meet before, right? And I mean, it was bad, but you know, to see that I'm, no I'm guessing, solutions are made after after two, no common ground. How about that? Right. Not even solutions. No common ground right. is made after two meetings very hostile i'm guessing there's yeah. no third meeting there is no third no meeting third no meeting. okay no, no third meeting um wow. so that was from the washington um the washington times and so i was curious what other newspapers had to say and so i found uh an article from the edgefield advisor from edgefield south carolina okay so i want to let's get a southern perspective here um and the edgefield advisor is going to give a full column dedicated to trotter two weeks after this meeting even happens okay so a full column and the author of the column uh he tries to explain what he calls trotter's quote insolence uh to the idea and this is this is from the the writer himself quote he had been coddled by codfish democracy of massachusetts okay and then the author also claims that quote it is a far cry from Massachusetts democracy to South Carolina democracy. Hmm. So Trotter's from Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, so that kind of stuff will fly in Massachusetts, but not down here. What right. does that remind you of? Wow. Okay, this 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 we're gonna use geography to mm-hmm. explain political differences. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I mean this is right back it, in the antebellum, right? This well, is enduring yeah. theme throughout American history. Right, right. right. Here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Mason wow. Dixon stuff, exactly. right? This is, yeah, yeah. So to me, President Wilson's quote unquote Jim Crow statesmanship is going to start to migrate out of the South. Okay. Mm. So you have, you know, his Southern supporters, but we're going to see that it's not just these Southern newspapers that are going to come to bat uh, for the president. So people around the nation who maybe aren't in the South, but at least feel some connection to those ideals of um quite frankly white supremacy mm-hmm. right um maybe you're gonna be able they feel like they're, they're gonna feel like they have a champion they're gonna come out of the woodwork like-minded little, republicans and democrats and democrats are gonna right? feel like they have an advocate in the white house they have an ally that they can now institute policies that they thought otherwise could not happen wow so here's an example okay um, I was looking through more more newspapers, and I found a November 4th, 1916 edition of the Denver Star. So this is an election day kind of, this is close to election day, okay. you know, presidential election, second, you know, Wilson's possible second term. And the Denver Star, this is what they had to say about the Wilson administration. They say, quote, the South is governing the United States under the Wilson administration. And then they go on um, to justify this by by talking about Wilson and his majority Southern cabinet's segregation policies, um, and even saying that that Wilson's policy had inspired a segregation movement throughout the nation. Um, and they quote they say they say the following quote: "The segregation of the Negroes by restricting their property rights in large cities." Baltimore, Louisville, and St. Louis fell in line with President Wilson in this most infamous of all forms of reprisal against the progress of the Negro race. Right. And you just named three, like, essentially border states, right? So Baltimore, yeah. Louisville, St. Louis. So you got Maryland, Kentucky, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Wow. And so it's it's moving out of the South. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm just... Uh, what's What's so... Maybe scary is the wrong word, but it's it's the fact that that people are flocking to him for this. That they see this as like we finally got a guy in the white in the White House who sees it how it should be, right? And, and it, it's scary that such blatant racist policies is getting so many people on board. 
Would you call that populism then with, with him? I, yeah, a, a type of populism, a form of right? Populism, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of appealing to the masses, yeah, that's kind yeah. of how I would define populism, yeah. right? Right. Um, and I know, I know a lot of like, um, say, like, like Jim Crow laws, part of the or like lynch law in the mm-hmm. South, that whole culture. Part of it is also convincing, you know, because you have that ruling er- aristocratic class, right, of of Southern planters, right. And I think part of that is is uh, is those people in power teaching poor whites who you know don't have a very good life that their life sucks, not because of the people in power, but because of black people, right? And so I wonder if there's kind of a prevailing voice around the United States at that time of you know are you a farmer? Are you an urban worker? Whatever you are, the reason your life isn't perfect is because of then roll out the immigrant roll out the black man right whoever who can we point the finger at um for our problems right Mm -hmm. when ignoring you know whether it's big business um you know uh, the the southern planters you know uh whatever you know economic policies right it's easy to have a boogeyman right and it seems like wilson is very comfortable with leaning on that boogeyman the black man uh, which has been used for at this point generations, right? Absolutely. Um, now, in addition to the Denver Star, let's give some love to the Kansas City Sun. Hey, yeah, Kansas City Sun. <laughs> uh, they're going to echo the Denver newspaper's discontent um, with the president by stating the following: "Quote that Wilson had been uh, quote placing a ban upon the progress of the Negro Negro race is the only policy." of which President Wilson's administration has consistently adhered and the only one that has been successful. Hmm. So you have so many contemporaries noting what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. So we're about at the halfway point of the research. And I really think to do due diligence right i think i think this is gonna be a two-parter okay so let's get it so let's kind of wrap up this first part uh, with this we have to realize that woodrow wilson's segregationist politics are on full display yeah okay during this entire first term yeah um we've seen the expansion of segregation and jim crow kind of become the unofficial policy of the wilson administration uh, you've got the public conflict with Trotter and the black press, which is going to continue to dominate headlines because Trotter himself is going to go on tour around the country giving speaking engagements of his conversation with the press. Um, you know, to give some love locally, I, saw, I found uh, an article from a Topeka newspaper okay. where Trotter had visited a church. Um, and just engaged in the dialogue and, and speaking of what happened. So, so Trotter's message is also spreading, but you know it's just continuing to dominate the headlines. Right. And as we've seen in recent years, you know when things continue to dominate the headlines, they're going to get everyone's full attention yeah. and, and sometimes even divide the people even more. Right. Um, right. Another aspect that we're not going to get into a whole lot simply could be its own paper is you have to realize that 1916 is also what a lot of historians consider, consider the beginning of the Great Migration yeah. of mm. African Americans from the South right. to the North. Right. And as you have, you know, from D.C., a example of Jim Crow segregation spreading to those border states, right. Louisville, right. Okay, St. Wow. Louis, yeah. so as, as, as African American families in the South are getting out and i think we oftentimes like we i don't i don't think we do this on purpose but we just say oh they were moving for opportunity no they're fleeing domestic terrorism is what they're doing and at this point it's right gonna it, start to follow them right and it's gonna so it's gonna follow them as well right? think of like chicago yeah riots right, right. exactly yeah it's 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 um we can't i think part of undoing the scars of American history past is realizing that, like, yes, like those Jim Crow po- policies were strongest in the South, but when the Great Migration occurred, uh, 
black people met an awful lot of evil and resistance in those northern cities they moved to. Chicago's a great example. We found out that racism was not uh, limited to the South. Right. Yeah. Well, which we now know as history teachers. Of course, of course. Right. right? But that idea yeah. of like North always kind of being the hub of abolition, right, that didn't always equate they weren't racists, right? right. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. You could see that with immigrants that were moving in. And, and so yeah. now as the African-Americans were migrating north, now the, now people in the north then had to figure out like, oh, okay, so are we going right. to talk the talk? And when you have a president walk the walk? who's pursuing these policies, wow. right, and there is this migration of, of black people to your to your city and, you know, some of them are getting like, say, factory jobs or urban jobs or whatever right there, there's gonna be a, a secret of, of like the dirty secret of like unions at this time is that they're very racial right it's very much like we don't want immigrants we don't want black people we want good white men right and so i have to think that's all connected to this and when you have the per the person with the largest platform, bully, the part, bully, yeah, pulpit. bully pulpit platform the president who is you know not only pursuing policies has a stance but his his shutting down of the black press is dominating headlines that's gonna make all those groups um run towards that that much harder mm. you know i think of like the, you know, like you guys know like the, the famous song like strange fruit about the lynching in the south mm. is that the i think you feel is this billy holiday the real yeah, yeah the real it's, it's really it's really mm -hmm. impactful song right you know but but she, you know she's part of the reason she sings that as a jazz musician is because her her father died around this time because like the white doctor in town wouldn't treat him because he was a black man like a person needed life or death medical care was denied it you know um and there's so many stories like that i mean stories of like black people in the south who like you know they had to go to the vet because local doctors wouldn't treat them for medical care you know um, um and like and like these are just a couple random these stories go on and on and on and on and on and then when you finally have the, the means to flee um which is impressive because like whether it's a system of sharecropping in the south or whatever you don't have whole you don't have much to hold on to mm -hmm. to fund your escape but then when you get there and you realize holy crap this is this is coming with me right i i just have to imagine how Part of me, part of me makes me, this makes me understand why the black press would get behind Woodrow Wilson. Because if you're a black person at this time, you're, where do you go? Who has your back, right? Um, and even if you say, oh, I've been voting for the party of Lincoln, 1912, what do you have to show for it? Yeah, what's right. the party been doing for you? Right, right. Um, and I guess they found wow. out what, what the Democratic Party would do for them with Wilson, right? Yeah. Um, it's just, I think it's just shocking to under, to peel back the layers of America's like racial history and just realized how, how much it impacted the daily experience. Right. And this isn't during the civil war, but 1912, I mean, that uh, 1912. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're like for 50 years past that. Right. And, um, it's still following them, you know? Yeah. So I think. Once again, you know, just to kind of end this part one, uh, just remember that as president, Wilson has that bully pulpit, and he's setting an example in D.C., um, like we said, that's going to spark like-minded like Democrats and Republicans to implement Jim Crow, and thus the president has a bully pulpit, bully pulpit for white supremacy that's in full force. Now, whether it's intentional or not, it's important to note that a president's actions and sometimes inaction is portrayed by the public through the press, through the media, as political strategy. Mm. Wow. Well, Jonathan, this has been a very powerful first episode. Yeah. Um, and is it right in episode two you're gonna you're gonna connect his dots to the very famous Klan film? birth of a nation birth of a nation yeah so wow make sure you tune in for part two. Oh yeah to see how this story gets even crazier wow. a president supporting being contributed to a racist film that's going to lead to the revival of the ku klux klan wow well jonathan thank you uh 
Ethan, it's been great having you back in I'm, the driver's seat. I'm literally speechless. This has just been yeah. super enlightening. Yeah, now you guys are going to have to wait two weeks to hear part two, but uh, Ethan and I have the benefit of ending this one and getting part two right now. So this has been another episode <laughs> of Making History Dope again, Jonathan. Um, I We've said it before. I think you're our best researcher. Uh, part one was good. Down. Part two is going to be great. Um, I think it's going to be even better. Let's do it. Make sure you like us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, hey, leave us a review. Uh, tell a friend. Tell a buddy. Uh, reach out to us. Start a conversation. You know, uh, Nothing makes me more happy than when I get a message on one of our social media accounts, and it's somebody who wants to engage in a dialogue. Whether yes. you're fully agreeing, challenging, questions, telling us something we missed or got wrong— Guys, Make History Dope Again is about peeling back the layers of the past and realizing, holy crap, it's still here, man. Yep. It's still here. Yep. And I'm be honest, 2021, right? The effects of Woodrow Wilson's support of white supremacy, what you could call white nationalism, mm-hmm. when he's mm-hmm. calling when he's calling uh, the Civil War a revolution, right? That's that's that's, that's him calling back to what he thinks should be a white nation a nation dominated by white people right um we're still seeing the impacts of that today guys this is what make history dope again is all about and so reach out to us start that conversation and uh we'll catch you next time stay safe stay sane wear a mask <laughs>